we will pick up in Revelation chapter 11 again. Yeah, I said it before and I'll say it again. But uh, I'm so glad that everyone's here and it's a blessing to be able to share the word that you guys would take time out of your uh, Sunday night uh, to spend time together and in the word together. But we're in Revelation. And if you remember the title of the study, it's The Time is Near. And every time I read the news and turn on the TV, and I'm sure you too, I think, man, the time really is near. It's even uh, it's definitely nearer than when we first believed. Uh, but I feel like with every passing second, with every new headline, it's nearer and nearer. Uh, like I said, we're going to be looking at Revelation 11, uh, verses 15 through 19. And when I first was reading through this, I thought we could get through this quick and then get into chapter 12. And as I was getting back into it, uh, you know, uh, last night and today, uh, I really realized that we could really focus on these five verses. And uh, uh, hopefully, I, you know, the Lord ministered to me too, and I, I pray he does to you as well. Uh, but the title of the message is Great Power. Great Power. I was I was wanted to title it Your Great Power, but I really don't want anyone who happens to come across the podcast to think of it as Your Great Power, this self-empowerment message, because that's not what it's about. It's about the Lord's power. Um, it's called Great Power. Uh, but Revelation, remember, is John on Patmos. Jesus revealed to him in glory the future, brought him up to heaven, brought him to the future, and showed him the things that would come and would be. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Man, I've been coughing today. Every time the heat comes on, I seem to cough. So uh, forgive me for, for the interruption. But we know it's the end of the world as we know it, the great tribulation, the seven years of judgment on the nations and on the world who have rejected Jesus. Uh, again, uh, just to reiterate, I really believe this is God's last-ditch effort to get the world to repent. Yes, it's judgment on the nations. Yes, it's judgment on and striking out against the enemies of God. But really, God's heart is for that, that those would turn to him and not uh, have everlasting uh, judgment. And again, remember, as bad as this is, hell is worse. Hell is worse. Hell is forever. Uh, but last week we saw the two witnesses, Elijah and Moses, I believe. Uh, they put out plagues, fire from their mouth at anyone who would try and stop them. But the beast waged war on them. No one could kill them. And after every word was said, God allowed them to be killed. Um, uh, hey, Nancy, would you mind uh, muting? I think there's some feedback coming from... Uh, your thing. Are you able to do that? Sorry. No, no, it's okay. I think maybe it's the cat or the dog, whatever it is, too. I don't know. If you need to say something, just chime in. I'm just muting for the feedback. Uh, but we saw the beast wage war on them, and God allowed him to kill them, and they stayed there in the streets, and then the people rejoiced. They had their own Christmas. Uh, but then the resurrection, God brought them back to life and they ascended and the people feared and that fear uh, brought glory to God. Uh, and today we're going to see something a little bit different. We're going to see the seventh trumpet. We've had a break from the trumpets from chapter uh, 10 and 11. They were sort of a break between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. Uh, and just to reiterate, uh, the first trumpet uh, brought a judgment of hail and fire mixed with blood. The second brought a great mountain burning with fire thrown into the sea. The third, there was a great star falling from heaven. We saw the, the similarities there with um, Satan falling from heaven. Uh, that star is called wormwood or bitterness, and it poisoned the waters of the earth. Uh, you know, again, all this climate change fear. I think uh, there's going to be a lot more climate change in a couple of years. Uh, but a third of the sun, the moon, and the stars were dimmed at the fourth. Fifth, a star falling from heaven. The key to the bottomless pit was open. Uh, we saw this demonic horde come out and brought... Um, Judgment on those who had taken the mark. 
And then six, there are four angels who are released from Euphrates who had been bound there for all of history. Um, again, this would make a great movie. Uh, if they did it right, it would make a great movie. I'll get Peter Jackson and Lord of the Rings crew on it or something. Uh, but a third of mankind was killed, uh, 200 million horsemen, fire, smoke, and brimstone. And the, the key to all this is that man still did not repent. That despite all the judgment coming, despite that it was clear that it was coming on their wickedness from heaven, people still didn't repent. And those who took the mark uh, likely couldn't, but even those who didn't, there was still no repentance there. And I think that God is really trying to bring that out and expose that uh, as the truth, that his judgment is right. Why? Because these people are literally hell-bent. They're hell-bent. Uh, and I'm going to look at current events again. I'm not going to spend quite as much time as we did last week. But I really want to pull this one up because I think it's telling in a lot of ways. Uh, this was an opinion piece, and I know it's an opinion piece. And, uh, you know, there's more leeway there. And opinion pieces get published by publishers all the time. But this was in Bloomberg. And this was the tweet for it. Um, and then there was a companion piece that went along with it. And it said, inflation stings most if you earn less than 300000 Here's how to deal. Take the bus. Uh, don't buy in bulk, so don't stock up. And try lentils instead of meat. I think uh, Mima has already tried lentils instead of meat, and she enjoys it. Uh, and then the last part said, nobody said this would be fun. I'm going to read this quote from it, but from this opinion piece. It says, meat prices have increased about 14% from February last year and will go up even more. Uh, though your palate may not be used to it, tasty meat substitutes include vegetables, uh, where prices are only up 4%, lentils or beans, which are up about 9%. Plan to cut out the middle creature and consume plants directly. It's more efficient, healthier, and cheaper way to get calories. And I don't doubt that, and there's nothing wrong with eating lentils if you enjoy them, but the solution is what they're saying is, basically, <laughs> go on a depression diet. The depression is back, start eating stone soup, and the inflation won't hurt anymore. It's not our policies. <laughs> it's not the fact that we're allowing these giant meat conglomerates to choke out uh, the local meat producers. Just look up some videos from meat uh, ranchers, and you'll see that this, a lot of this is manufactured. But if you listen to them, and if you listen to that talk with Jack Hibbs last week, I think your eyes will be a little bit open to uh, an agenda here, whether this lady is in on it or not. Man, they don't want people to eat meat anymore. Uh, they'll use any excuse under heaven that cow flatulence is too much uh, for the planet to eat less meat. Now, if you don't want to eat meat, that's fine. That's totally on you uh, for whatever reason. But you can see that this thing, they're starting to get the ball rolling. You know, they, they took COVID and you see what the mandates and came out of there. Wait till you see what happens with these gas prices, with inflation, and what sort of things are going to come out of this. Uh, if you thought it was over and we were in the clear, uh, I would disagree. But again, I know this piece is just opinion and it received quite the backlash online, uh, but it really I think it espouses the sentiment, uh, what the whole world is under, under the sway of whom, while the spirit of the Antichrist, the Bible tells us, that in some way, accidentally, I think that this also reveals uh, perhaps a class dividing marker Perhaps 300,000 is the level that they're thinking that. Under that will become the dependent plebs, and above that will be the ruling class. I don't know uh, if that's on purpose or if that's just a number that looked uh, financially sound. But remember, inflation doesn't hurt the poor as much as CNN, it uh, doesn't hurt the rich as much as CNN would like you to know. Inflation hurts those who are spending most of their money on meals, on food, on gas, 
on car payments and on rent payments. And uh, that's certainly not the rich. And re if we remember back in Revelation 6, the rider of famine, the black rider, and he said, or the Bible says, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. And so I, John, looked and behold, a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand, uh, you know, like measuring out uh, what things cost and what things weigh and appropriate measures. Verse 6 says, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, A quarter of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, uh, and do not harm the oil and wine. They're saying, basically, here's a loaf of bread for your day's work, but don't harm the rich people's food. Don't harm the oil and the wine. And we can see that these things are already beginning to ramp up in one way or another. And again, I could go on and on with uh, current events. But I know we're not here for that. You have plenty of other resources that are qualified for that. So let's get into the scripture together. And Lord, we pray that, God, you would uh, provide for us. God, whether the world gets better, I don't think it will, or worse, whether hard times and harder times come upon us here in America, God, I pray that you would help us be strong in our faith to not waver. God, we're thankful for all that you've given us. You've given us so many things. And even if we lose half of them, Lord, we're still richer than most of the world. So Help us uh, maintain the right perspective if you call us to have less. And help us, uh, if you, we have more, to use it to bless others and care for others. But most of all, in your word, uh, God, everyone who's gathered here, God, would you speak to them? Would you speak to us? Would you minister to us and let us find our, uh, our manna, our living water, our living bread in you, uh, in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, but just a note as we get back in, remember that what we're about to actually read is a picture into heaven. That what we're reading is the words that John wrote down are the things he saw and heard in heaven. Right? We get an actual glimpse into heaven just by reading the scripture here. And it's not mystical. It's not this 1995 book and I'll tell you all my secrets about God. It's right here. It's plain. It's easy to see. And God wants us to see it. It's this hidden thing that was hidden for all of history that God has revealed in Revelation that we actually get to see. And I believe that that's a privilege uh, to have it and to hold it and to take it to heart. So let's do that as we start out and read a whopping one verse here together. So let's read verse 15. It says, uh, and I'm reading from the modern English version, so it's close to the King James. So um, hopefully, it's, hopefully you can follow along. But it says, The seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And I have to tell you, it feels awesome to be able to read that. The kingdom of, kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. You know, the seventh angel sounds his trumpet here, and I think of just this military lineup of all these angels. Angel one blew his trumpet, put it down. Number two, number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven. Uh, in this military procession, one by one, firing off their heavenly cannons. And God doesn't need weapons of war to defeat the armies of earth. He just has his angel blow a trumpet. Elders speak a word of his plan, and it comes to pass. That the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That this is the heavenly takeover. We've read uh, 11 and a half chapters of Revelation so far. We've seen a lot of judgments happen, uh, but they are proclaiming that the end is coming, that the end is nigh, so to speak. Uh, a commentator points out that the words have become are this definite sense of it is happening. Not necessarily that it's happened right at this second here, but they are proclaiming that it's happening. It's about to happen. 
it will happen, and that there is no doubt about it. There's no going back. This is the point of no return. If there was a point of return, it is over with at this point. That God is declaring that whatever is going on on earth, whatever kingdoms they think are in power on earth, are being taken over by heaven. God's will may be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? We were taught to pray by the Lord. It is happening. Um, it's not a false proclamation of victory before it's done. Whatever you think of, or whatever we've been told of this conflict with Ukraine and Russia, uh, going to plan, not going to plan, uh, God's plan for takeover of earth is going right according to plan. There's not a misstep. There's not a lack of uh, funding. There's not a lack of supply chain. No matter what international pressure comes against God, it's going to happen. There's no doubt about it. And there's no stopping of it. That the kingdoms of this world, think about all the kingdoms of this world. Think about the nations. Think about the powers. Think about the international powers, the UN that are above nations, that are multinational. Think about the people, the oligarchs who are rich, the companies who have such influence over everybody uh, and really control our thoughts and things just because we don't pay attention to what we're being fed. And remember these kingdoms. And remember that Satan offered these kingdoms of the world to Jesus on the Temple Mount during the temptation of the Lord. That Satan was trying to take the throne of heaven. Satan was trying to usurp the throne of heaven by saying, Jesus, I know you want all these kingdoms of earth. I know you've come here to die for these people. But look, we can make it super simple. You know, he's trying to make a deal, the art of the deal with the Lord. That I'll just give you these earths if you just bow down and worship me. And God says, no. Jesus said, no, I'm only going to worship God. That there's only one who's worth of worship. Um, and he denied that, that quick route to try and take over uh, the kings of the earth. Because the goal of God was not the kings of, kingdoms of the earth. The goal of God was, again, having everything under his dominion. Having people back with him again. And it wouldn't come any other way than but through the way of the cross. And unfortunately for those who resist, the way of judgment against them. And now God is rightfully taking back what is his. Everything right? Okay, uh, and he's rightfully taking back what is his. God is not taking wrongfully what is his. Again, if we use Ukraine because as a current example, whether it's uh, right or wrong, there's so many other things that can go into it, right? I'm not going to take one side or the other other than it's uh, an awful situation for everyone involved. Um, but God is not taking something that wasn't his. God is not on some power trip to take over a planet that does not belong to him. He's taken what's his and what was proven at the cross, and it's going to happen, and it will happen, and there's not going to be a contest there. That God, in fact, I believe, was holding back for millennia. Since the garden, uh, you know, he could have taken over uh, at any time. Jesus said, I could call down legions of angels right now, and they'll take me off the cross, and they'll get this sorted out, and the Roman government basically will be wiped out. But he didn't. He had the authority to do so. But in some sense, he laid that authority down and said, now's not the time. I'm not calling my armies in. But now God is. And Revelation is not just about wrath. It's about God revealing all of his holy and righteous authority. That Revelation reveals that God's been in control the whole time. That God's in control of the past, the present, and the future. And no matter what we see on earth, no matter what's presented on the news and in our lives and in Satan's uh, temptation of us, God is in control. That there is a why would a loving God allow this? Well, you know what? God has his reasons, and really, it's not God's fault that you and I sin, is it? But the tribulation is not some first strike 
of God's army to weaken the defenses of earth. You know, before we go in, if you remember the original Iraq war and Afghanistan and the war on terror, and even with Russia, uh, we would send in uh, stealth bombers, we would send in cruise missiles, you might send in, um, you know, elite ground forces to take out certain um, important sites that you wouldn't want, especially uh, anti-aircraft missiles, right? You want to take all those out first. Uh, and you would do that, and then you'd come in with your Air Force to take out the rest of the targets now that the Air Force is safe. And then you'd bring in your ground invasion because you had to do all this to make sure it, was, it would cut your losses. You know, there's this military strategy there. Uh, I think in some sense God is doing that, but I, in the other sense, I don't think he is. I don't think God needs to send seven years of tribulation for him to come back and defeat Satan's armies. There's, there's not this one-on-one power struggle, as we'll see in chapter 12 uh, with heaven's armies and, and Satan's armies. It's not an equal fight. God is way more superior than the armies of earth, way more superior than even the armies of Satan. It's not, a, it's not this one-on-one contest. And so when God comes back, he's got the tribulation to try and wake everybody up, and then when he comes back, that's it. There's no contest. Um, he doesn't need to ensure his victory. He already has taken that victory at the cross. And remember that this, in large part, is to judge the nation's of the earth, right? Nations aren't eternal. Nations are temporal, and the nations need to face the judgment of a holy and righteous God as well. And so that's what's happening here as well. That's what these folks are proclaiming: that God's judged the nations, and He's judged that they're no longer going to be in control themselves. That God is going to be in control, and we'll see in the millennial reign, further in Revelation, how Jesus does reign on earth uh, for a season, uh, for a thousand years, to prove, uh, in some sense. Uh, what his uh, what a real utopia should look like. I believe it's also a rallying cry for the remaining Jews and Gentiles to repent. That this time, God has still has a plan for the Jews. God has a plan for the tribulation saints. That again, he ha- he didn't just write everybody off at the rapture, but he wants them to come to him during this time. Uh, that his final takeover of earth and of the nations will be swift. It will be mighty. And again, there will be no contest. That this takeover of earth's nations by heaven's power, by God's authority, will be eternal and will be final. That there will be no going back. Yes, Satan will be loosed for a quick time at the end of the millennial reign. But as we'll see, that that is just, uh, uh, in some sense, I believe, it's just a formality for God to allow uh, anyone left who doesn't want to be a part of heaven to uh, have their way out. Let's go on. Let's read verses uh, 16 through 18 here. And it says, And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, who is and was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time has come for the dead to be judged and to reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. If you remember those 24 elders, we see them again. There's some debate on who they actually are. You know, In my mind, it kind of looks like the 12 um, uh, tribes of uh, Jacob and of Israel and uh, the 12 uh, apostles. But, you know, basically it's... The, the folks of men who, uh, who worship God, who are given a place, a special place before him. But these special elders, they're still just elders. They are not deserving of worship of themselves. Um, 
but they bow in reverence. They bow in holy fear. Like I talked with the kids uh, the other night as we were reading about a holy fear of God. That God is one to be feared, you know, just in general, if you think about him as a powerful being, as we've seen here in Revelation, that yeah, if he showed up in the room in his full glory, we'd fall down as dead like John did, right? But also that he deserves respect and honor, just not only for the title, right? You know, not just because he's God, like the president is a president, right? And we should have some respect for those in authority, like Romans teaches us, but that he's deserving of it. He's deserving of that respect and that honor. And these elders show that by their worship of bowing down before him. Uh, but I find it interesting that the first thing they do is that they give thanks to God. They give thanks to God amidst the judgment when his kingdoms are coming, say, we give you thanks, O Lord, God Almighty. That they're not in some version of Stockholm Syndrome. They're not hostages in heaven and they have to bow down to their hostage taker. But they love with a holy love, this holy God. They've seen him in all his glory. They know, um, they know as they're known, you know, they experience in life the things that they experience. But they know that he's the rightful owner and creator of everything. That this is right for God to do. This is not God's vengeance in the sense that I'm going to get them back. I'm going to get Satan back. I'm going to get the world back for what they did to my son. In some sense it is, but in a real sense, it's all God's, right? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God made all of creation. It's his right to do with it as he wishes. He made the earth, and when the people of Noah's day were unrepentant, it was his right to flood it. And we have no say against that. God made it, and God destroyed it. God giveth, and God taketh away, right? And they give thanks to him, because he's the rightful owner, and he's, this justice is rightfully coming. If we know what the scripture says, we know that Satan has stolen and lied and destroyed from the beginning. That Satan has tried to usurp God's power from nearly the beginning. That he is false. Uh, all right, so we got 10 minutes, so we'll have to rejoin this call here in a minute. Uh, we'll just click out and come back in uh, when that happens, but I think we'll be good. But it, Satan is false, that uh, his kingdom is false. These powers that the earth has, these kingdoms on earth, the power that they try and ex uh, push over each of us, it's a false power. They have no right to tell any of us what to do. I think that's part of the glory of the Constitution and its limited glory is that it tried to limit government because the founders knew, despite their flaws, how evil government would be unchecked. And it's meant to check government, not us. And yet the powers of this world love exuding their power over other people. Rulers love making new laws to rule over people. The more, the more government exists, the more laws will be. They never, they never seem to take away laws. Uh, recently, a few laws have been repealed, but uh, we'll see. But his kingdom is false. His words are false. Doctrines of demons are out there, guys, deceiving the world, deceiving believers. Uh, God said if he didn't shorten the days, even the elect would be completely deceived because the age of deceit is out there. But don't be fooled that in our day and age, everywhere there are lies. Don't believe everything you say and you hear and read. And sometimes it's just better just to turn it off and turn to what we can believe, what we can trust, and that's the word. But know that those who follow Satan are deceived. They're just as false. The things that they claim to be true and woke and right and that we all must adhere to, it's false. It's evil. And you know what? It's not going to last. It's not going to last. As much as they want to think that they're ushering in a new era, uh, I hate to tell them, it's only going to last at most uh, a few years. But not so for the living God. You know, John 10, 10 and 11 says, The thief does not come except to steal 
and to kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives life for his sheep. And these elders knew that and they give thanks to God. Thank you, God, that you're finally taking over. Thank you, God, that you're doing what is right and you're taking over the evil and getting rid of it in your time as you see fit. And they say uh, who he is. They say who is, who was, and who is to come. This eternal echo of God being the great I am, the one who always was, the one who always exists. Um, and that, and that's great to know that nothing can stop him, that he always was and there's no reason for him to not always be. Uh, but why are the 24 elders worshiping in this way now? Why are they doing this in this way now? Well, they say it. Because you have taken your great power to yourself, basically, and begun to reign. That God, you've had this great power. This is the time that you are beginning to take up your great power, take it to yourself and use it. And God, we give you thanks for that. We give you thanks. What, like, what an ultimate statement, I think, to think, thank you, God, for finally taking all your power unto yourself and using all your power and not holding back. Finally, every prayer is completely answered in the time that you saw fit. And it's happening now. And I think these words are interesting. You take that power to yourself is actually lambano. And I know I'm, I'm making a mountain out of a molehill here because uh, it's Greek. But I love that the word has lamb in it, right? That the, the power that he's taking to himself has the word lamb in it, uh, to thyself. That even the involvement of Jesus in this, I just, I wanted to make a picture out of that. But he says, to thyself, to take what is one's own, to take to oneself, to make one's own, to make, to take a thing due, to collect, to gather as a tribute, to receive a person, give him access to oneself. That in this act, God is bringing all mankind to himself. It's all coming under his authority, that it's due to him. That these things are due to God. These kingdoms of earth are not due to man. They're not built with man's power. That God allowed them to exist. And they're to go to God. They're God. God owns them, whether they recognize it or not. And I also like the part about giving access to oneself because, you know what? The tabernacle of God is with man and, man, and he is with them, as we'll see in the new kingdom, that God ultimately just wants people to himself. God wants all the people to be under his protection and experiencing his glory and his eternal life. And that can't happen if there's a separation between heaven and earth, that all of the kingdoms need to come under him at one point for this to happen. And this other word, power, Pastor John Basilio would love it, but the word is basilu. It's basically basilio in Greek, uh, but it means to be king, to exercise kingly power, to reign, uh, the millennial reign, a metaphor, to exercise the highest influence to control. That God is taking his kingly power unto himself in this moment and saying, that's it, guys. No one else is going to reign from now on. Uh, that time is over of me allowing anyone else to have any authority over anything at all. That God is taking it all to himself and it's rightly due to himself. That in some sense, I mean, don't make a doctrine out of this, but in, I think in some sense you can, in some sense it might fall apart. But that there is a separation of power and authority from himself that God laid down for a time. Uh, not given up, not lost, not usurped, but he exercised his own authority to do so with his own power for a time to allow these things to play out according to his plan. If we read in Philippians 2.5, it says, Let this mind be in you, in which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation 
taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on the earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we know that Jesus said, if we've seen him, we've seen the Father. So I think that there's some... There's some parallel here, if you're willing to look into it with me, that God allowed this to happen for a time, allowed the world to operate as it is, and now he's taking that power back to himself uh, and giving, uh, in a sense, taking that power and allowing Jesus to have that full authority over everything. Uh, Not that he ever didn't have it, but it's basically the time to exercise that authority, right? Um, And God is now not letting there to be any misconception anymore, that there's no separation between himself and his rightful power anymore. He's taking it all back. No one will ever be able to say, there is no God. No fool will be able to say that again. They will all know for sure that there is a God, and there's no. every knee will bow, right? Every tongue will confess that Jesus is, uh, that there's no option anymore. The world will no longer be in subjection to an enemy, to a false prince. They will be under rule of uh, the Prince of Peace, of uh, our mighty God. But verse 18, um, you know what? Let's pause here for a second. All right, so verse 18, it says, this really stuck out to me um, as I got into it. Yeah, thanks. First down, 10 yards. All right, so back at it. Verse 18 says, the nations were angry. That as the elders are praying, they're saying the nations were were angry. This really stuck out to me the second uh, time I went through it. And are not the nations angry today? Genesis saying that. Wait. Verse eighteen. Oh, I see. First one. First one. Okay, yep. Sorry. Yep. No. No. Good. That's a good question. I was like, oh, am I making this up? <laughs> no, but but the na- the nations are angry, and aren't they not angry yeah. today? Anything that would usurp their own power, their own influence over man, does that not make the nations and leaders uh, very hot, very angry? Anything that goes for a lockdown resistance, a mandate rebellion, a peaceful, you know, a peaceful trucker protest is a huge problem, but an angry riot is not, you know, because one goes against their authority, the other only... Uh, ingrain, further causes division and ingrains their authority. Russia's mad at the West for their encroaching on their own perceived influence. And West is mad at Russia for the things that Russia's doing. China is getting ready. China wants Taiwan back. China calls it, uh, was it East China or something like that, or West China? They won't even recognize it as Taiwan. Uh, but the nations are not only mad at each other, they're mad at their own people. They're mad at at anything that would keep them from exercising the power that they want. You know, the World Economic Forum, anyone who's not along for it is now a heretic. But most of all, I believe that the nations and the powers of the nations, they're mad at morality. They're mad at Western values, if you remember the talk that uh, I shared with you guys last week, which are the biblical values. When they say Western values, it's biblical values, it's morality, which is God's word, Judeo-Christian values. That's what they hate. If you look at anything that God has said in the scripture, it's under attack. God said, 
let there be man and woman. Well, that's under attack. You know, God said, let be fruitful, multiply. Well, don't have kids. Everything that you can go at any point in God that God has said, it's gone all the way back to the beginning and it's under attack. They hate God's word. And you know what? Jesus said, they hate me. They'll hate you as well. A servant is not greater as master. They hate you and me. They don't care for our best interests. Communism never cared for our best interests. Socialism never cared for our best interests. It's all about their own power, their own perceived um, good. But do they not sound like their leader? Who else hates children? Who else hates believers? Who else hates God's word? I think the answer to that is simple. But do you know what? God, I love this, laughs. God laughs. Let's read Psalm 2 quickly together. It says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? You know, vanity, a thing that doesn't have any substance, that's never really going to have any reality to it. Why do they plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their courtrooms. Get, get Western values off of us. It's holding us back from progress. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. God's a nice guy. But when God sees these guys raging against him, you know what? He sits back in his chair and he goes, ha, this is ridiculous. You guys have no idea what you're talking about. You have no power. And he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son today, I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give the nations for your inheritance and the ends of earth for your possession, God says to his son. You shall break them with a rod of iron. We'll see that in uh, uh, the millennial kingdom. He rules with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. I love it. They have zero power before him. As many nukes as they have, as much international pressure as they try and exert, they have zero power before the king of kings. And when he wants to take their kingdoms, he can take it. It's no big deal. And he'll even use them to take their power away from each other at times in history. Uh, they will resist. They will fight till the very end, as we'll see. They will attempt to destroy Jesus at his return. But spoiler alert, if you haven't read it, they lose big. They lose immediately, and their blood goes up to the horse's bridles. They have no chance against him, and God laughs. God says, all right, you really want to do this? You, you really want to fight me? Is this really what you want? That's what he's been saying throughout all of history. You really don't want my rule. You really want a king to rule over Israel. All right, here's Saul. Okay, Saul, Saul is no good. He was after your own heart. So let me give you David, a king after my own heart, right? And let me give you Jesus, who will sit on his throne forever. But they say, your wrath has come. That God, your wrath has finally come. That God has been holding back for all of history, keeping his wrath back. Yeah, there's been judgment on nations and peoples throughout history. There's been uh, abandonment judgment. I believe we're facing that now. But he's not taking up his power because taking up his power meant putting out his wrath. And God did not want to do that until it absolutely had to be done. 
He was holding back, I believe, out of mercy, out of grace, out of truth, and out of love. John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That it's our own choice if we want God's wrath or not. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Romans 2, 4 through 11, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good, uh, seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, well, you know what they get? Indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But instead, glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. That God's wrath is not impartial. That God's wrath, uh, it is impartial rather, it's not partial. He's not just doing it on people he hates, he doesn't like, that didn't like him. He has to exact that wrath on unrighteousness because he is righteous. If he doesn't enforce the, the removal of unrighteousness, then he is not being righteous. Righteousness must stand up for truth in a certain time, in a certain day, in a certain way. And when it's the right time, it's the right time. And the time has come, they say, for the dead to be judged. The time has come, they say, for judgment to finally happen, as we'll see later on the Bema seat. Uh, but there's still 11 more chapters. We still get to see the bold judgments. We still get to see signs in heaven and on earth. Uh, God is still not done, but they're proclaiming it's all coming together. That this is the end. The nations are being taken over. That there's no doubt about it. That this is God's takeover of earth. And his wrath is being poured out. His wrath is just. And is on an evil world that is refusing to repent. And the elders here have the privilege of announcing what all of history is waiting for. Absolute justice. Ask what anyone wants today. They want justice. They want justice in Ukraine. Uh, Russia in some way wants justice for their own values. Right? You ask people at the marches, at the riots, what do they want? They want justice, right? Well, they're not going to get it from this world's rulers. They're not going to get it from this world's morality. They're not going to get justice unless they're willing to be judged in the light of the scripture. And they don't want the only thing that's going to give them justice, and that's God. They don't want what the word says. They want their own justice. This is really just vengeance, which is really just their own wrath being poured out on others that they don't like. But we'll see rewards for the godly and for the evil. That there's a reward for being good and there's a reward for being bad. And that every last person, small and great, is going to be judged. There's no one who is exempt from this time of judgment to come. And it finishes with that we're going to, he's going to destroy those who destroy the earth. You remember that the whole, whole creation groans under sin and is under the sway of the wicked one, right? And longs for that day. But the satanic message today is to destroy those who just supposedly destroy the earth. Destroy those who uh, aren't on board with the climate agenda. Destroy those who aren't on board with receiving uh, a jab of the arm that destroys your immune system every three months for the rest of your life. Uh, destroy those who wouldn't just listen to our every last whim and dictate and mandate. 
Don't have kids. Don't have kids. It's not good for the climate. Have less. Look it up. They say that. Hating children again is satanic, but having multiple is God's command. There will be a reward for those who sacrifice their children for wealth. There will be a reward for those who sacrifice their wealth for their children. God will destroy those who truly destroy the earth with their unrepentant sin and with their killing those who love God and with their they're destroying they're trying to destroy God's word at every turn. And as we close here, we see that the temple of God was opened in heaven. That's interesting to think. That there's a temple of God in heaven. That if we remember the tabernacle, tabernacle and the earthly temples, God gave specific instructions for them because they were a picture, they were a shadow of the temple in heaven. Uh, especially as we'll see in the new heaven and new earth, that the temple is not needed, that there's this oneness with God and man uh, where there's not a need for a temple. But we see the Ark of His Covenant, you know, a reminder that there's an atonement for sin, that there was a Ten Commandments, a law, that God provided manna from heaven and a rod that budded, right? A life out of a, out of a stick um, uh, was given uh, in this uh, covenant, in this Ark. We see that this is revealed, that all this is coming together, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant, and it's all coming to a head here. And because of that, there's lightning, there's noises, there's thunderings, there's earthquake, and there's great hail. Again, this is a big deal. That God is revealing uh, His final judgment. He's revealing that He's who He is, who He's taking over. And heaven and earth events are inextricably linked. Like we looked at early on in Revelation, that there is a connection between the spiritual and the physical in our world even today. And the things that happen on earth... If, the more they confuse you, I think the easier it is to point out, well, that's because there's a spiritual war going on behind it. And this is a big deal. It's a powerful event that shakes all of creation. That there, Again, heaven, those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth are affected by this. And again, what do the elders say? We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty. And as we begin to see these things come to pass, as hard as it is, we should give thanks to God that they are coming to pass. We are beginning to see them in our lifetime. And we need to give him thanks for who he is and for um, all that he is. And God, we do give you thanks here. God, we thank you again for the time to meet together and read your word, that we have it, that God, you gave us revelation, that the Bible is not missing this book, but that God, we have full assurance of what's to come. And we give you thanks for that. We give you thanks that you're holy, that you held back your judgment even in our own lives. God, who, who one of us could stand in your presence? God, no man could stand. God, you held back your wrath from us long enough for us to repent long enough for us to turn to you. And even when we sin against you as believers, God, you, uh, you look to your Son. You put your wrath on Jesus on the cross and we're able to receive forgiveness eternally. Uh, God, help us to live a life that is worthy of that. That, God, when you return, you would find faith on the earth and you'd find us uh, living a life that's uh, worthy of reward. Uh, small as it is, God, it's all yours. But, uh, God, we love you. And we ask that many would come to you and would turn to you and that these times in the end days where the enemy is being revealed, the plans are as clear as day. God may bring many to you uh, and the rapture be full. We love you, God. We trust you for these things. Bless all those who hear in Jesus' name. Amen. So may God bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light until the door.